Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, I'm dialing in here uh, in London and I have with me our guest, John McLean OBE. John is the senior advisor to the China Chamber of Commerce in the UK. And John is here to talk to us today about a special report that they brought out in 2021, a report on the development of Chinese enterprises in the UK. Now, you'll know me, I'm Michael Minelli. I'm one of the directors of Xi'an. And it really is a privilege to be able to introduce so many of these fascinating webinars, which range widely and freely across technology, economics and finance. And I think today's is probably going to be a little bit more on the economics and the finance and, of course, a large dose of geopolitics. Without question, China's rise over the last three decades has been phenomenal, um, but it hasn't been without its bumps, uh, its twists and its turns. And in particular, I would note a, a lurch last year into certain directions uh, which are new to us. And John is here to explore that for us. Now, the format today uh, is as ever. Uh, I'm going to get out of the way as quickly as I can. John will be speaking for approximately 20 minutes, but John has very kindly left a lot of time uh, for questions and discussion. Uh, three quick points of housekeeping. Yes, this is being recorded. Yes, John's slides will be available. And on questions, please, uh, if you want to participate in the discussion, just type into the GoTo question and answer facility. Uh, a couple points about that. One is I am online with you, so you can email me, tweet me, whatever you like, but I won't get it. So please do use the GoToWebinar facility and I'll feed those questions and comments into the discussion with John. Secondly, uh, John will be receiving a copy of all the questions with your email attached. So if you just want to get in touch with him or make a comment or point him to something, just stick it into that chat room and John will receive that. Now, just before we start, uh, we thought, uh, John and I, it'd be nice to just get a kind of a tenor of the audience. Uh, and Peter, who's behind the scenes here, is launching a poll question at the moment. And the question is very much about your attitude to China. Is it broadly positive, undecided, or broadly negative? Uh, now, uh, John, you probably don't know, but the uh, FS Club uh, members are particularly swift off the mark. Over 50% of them have voted. Uh, we're just going to give it a few more seconds. We're well up into the 70s now. Uh, just a few more moments there. Great. And Peter, if you don't mind, uh, we could close that poll and show the results. So 50%, uh, exactly, uh, broadly positive, um, a quarter undecided, and a quarter broadly negative. So, John, that gives you... Uh, sort of a target here uh, to think about as you begin to make your remarks. So, John, if I may, uh, without any further ado, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you for the opportunity to have a chat to you all today. I was appointed senior advisor to CCC UK last March, and part of that was to promote the Chinese businesses within the UK to get some balance back into the conversation and also to kind of broaden the understanding of what the Chinese companies in the UK do and what their mission is. I'm speaking today as a businessman. Uh, I'm not into politics. My focus is entirely about promoting bilateral trade between our two countries. Before I just kind of go through the presentation, just to give you an overview of what I'm going to talk about, I'm going to give you a bit of background about CCC UK so you actually understand what we're about, highlight our purpose, and therefore, and also just give you an understanding of how we put the survey together. And then I'm going to go through a summary of our report findings and then give a brief 
conclusion at the end. So that's the format for today. Right, so thank you for that slide. You can actually, today is not only a presentation to you, but this afternoon is our 20th celebration, 20th year celebration in the UK. So there's, there's a lot of China going on. But indeed, although some, as I said here, Chinese companies have been operating in the UK for over 90 years, I think the first uh, Chinese person to come to the UK was in something like 1687. So there is kind of a long history um, we will also develop this further. Corporate members, 270 and rising. Chinese companies employ 75,000 people, and I'll, I'll, I'll touch on that slightly further on. And indeed, looking at companies' house, we can actually see that there's a significant number of companies in the UK which are Chinese-based. Thank you. Next one, Peter. So, the figures I've got here are from the survey. The survey accounted for 79 uh, companies out of our 270, which is about a 62% uh, response rate, which was, which was good. So as you can see, the lion's share is industrial, financial, and consumer. And on the financial, approximately 50 companies are in London in the finance area. So that is the largest um, part. And when you see the next slide, Peter, we actually have an overview of the coverage in the UK. So you can see that London and the Southeast is very dominant, but there are areas in the Midlands and a few in Scotland. But as, as we look at it today, nothing in Wales and nothing in uh, Northern Ireland. The West Midlands in Atchipat is a growing area, and that is the fastest focus for the uh, Chinese companies because manufacturing is really starting to take a, a grip. Into obviously, when I touch on the kind of the green area and uh, climate change, you can actually understand why. Thank you, Peter. So, what is CCC UK's purpose? Well, it is all about trade, economics, and trade bringing our two countries together and promoting trade between each other. So this is our fourth time we have uh, had this forum. And indeed, what you're actually hearing this morning is the first time that we've actually done any form of presentation similar to this. And the purpose of this, which is a kind of a thread that goes throughout today, is really to communicate what the Chinese companies are up to and to give you a greater understanding of what they actually do in the UK. And secondly, I think for those of you who are involved in China, aware of China, they, they have the annual icebreaker dinner, which this year is next week and it's online, but it's a good kind of getting together of all of the people who have any involvement with China in the UK. Thank you, Peter. Our second purpose is really to represent, as you would expect as a chamber to do, represent the Chinese enterprises in the UK. So that whether it be with DIT, whether it be with the City of London, whether it be with local authorities, it's a kind of growing part of our development. Obviously, because the kind of on the China side, a lot of activity takes place with the Chinese government, Therefore, we actually have to match that in the UK to actually brief DIT and the UK government 
so that can, there's a meeting of minds. And indeed, we do work closely with the British Embassy in Beijing and our Trade Commissioner over there. So it, it, it's kind of, I'm using the word bridge, but CCC UK does actually see itself as a bridge between our two countries. And of course, producing the annual report and surveys. Thank you, Peter. Diversified promotional platform sounds a big uh, a phrase, but you can't do everything. Uh, you've got to do it in bite-sized chunks and you've got different audiences. So whether it be supporting local communities and charities, the, kind of, the people to people exchanges are becoming far more important within the kind of realm of both the UK and China. Indeed, uh, you'll probably be aware that for last year and the year before, um, the Chinese companies produced or provided quite a lot of PPE. They support the Lord Mayor's appeal. They get involved in local community and charity activities around the country. And, and with the um, um, City of London, they've got the Lord Mayor's uh, China Charity Initiative. So there's plenty to go on there. Promoting cultural exchanges, that used to be a high level uh, area for uh, activity, but with COVID and the restrictions on flights, that has been curtailed significantly. And that's an area that I'll come back to slightly uh, later. Creating public awareness. For those of you that actually follow China or CCC UK in the UK, we've actually introduced a new website last year. So there's far more information about the companies, what we do, where we do it, who's involved. So it's kind of promoting far more openness and transparency. And indeed, uh, the, our chairman, Peng Wenjian, he um, appeared before the all-party China group and also the House of Lords. And indeed, we work closely with um, CBBC, again, to kind of create promotions of what we are uh, about. And indeed, part and parcel of that is to kind of fill the void of a lack of information about Chinese businesses in the UK. And our job has started to actually provide information so that those who are uninformed or indeed want to find information that is available through us. Thank you, Peter. But for the Chinese companies themselves, they've got to have a kind of greater understanding of the business environment within the UK. So whether it be on ESG, we've had sessions with uh, KPMG to actually kind of start that that learning. Uh, regulatory and compliance lectures, we kind of work directly with a number of the leading firms of lawyers. Economics and policies, we've had uh, sessions with the Bank of England so that people could actually understand our employment, GDP, rates of inflation. Uh, understanding the impact of Brexit, I, I don't think I need to talk about that because I think that's common to all of us. Matchmaking for business and investment projects, I think that's going to be or indeed is a growing part of the role of CCC UK. It really wants to be the kind of the first port of call for Chinese companies who wish to invest in the UK and to provide them with the wherewithal as to how it can be done, what they should do, where can you go for questions. So to kind of give them confidence that they should actually come here and actually hold their hand. And again, using that phrase bridge. Right, thank you. So 
in, in essence, what is our report about? I'm going to go through these particular um, headings in, in detail. COVID and Brexit, I think we're going to kind of slightly gloss over because they're not important. Geopolitical is quite crucial, and that actually has quite an impact on resilience, confidence, and commitment. Thank you, Peter. So economic resilience, and I, I think it's probably fair to say that notwithstanding whether it be kind of Brexit, COVID, or indeed the geopolitical winds, or indeed anything else which has happened in the UK, the, the, the Chinese, I think, are kind of have demonstrated what they're good at, which is kind of looking at the long term. And therefore, there's been an awful lot of kind of uh, you know, significant waves, but those waves, so kind of we, we, arrive, we arrive at calmer waters and they want to see where we can go for, the, uh, for, for growth. And therefore, I think this is, this is a, a strong statement that we've got companies that are growing, improving their profitability. And indeed, the UK is an important and integral part of what they do. Thank you, Peter. So confidence, and in actual fact, you can actually, it, remarkably, given what's been actually happening, we've got kind of 80% and 78%, and also we've got this phrase 50%. And I think confidence is probably one of the most operable words in all of what's been going on, because what happens in the UK, there are, and also as we've seen more locally with our, um, our, our press comment, all of that is picked up and is kind of seen in China by the kind of respective um, head offices. So no matter what the country manager may be saying about how business is over here, if they're reading negative press in China, they will actually start to kind of look slightly more different uh, with a different eye. And th the significance of that is, especially in a post-Brexit environment, you've got opportunities in Europe for Chinese investment for the kind of European plateau. And if there's too much negativity, then heads will look elsewhere and investment will look elsewhere. So again, coming back to the theme of today, it's all about giving us a balance and providing information so that people are informed in their decision-making. Thank you, Peter. So the Chinese contribution, and I think Probably a lot of you will know all this. I'm just going to focus on the the trade. Obviously, China is the UK's largest trading, third largest trading partner, and probably that is. I don't think it's going to change in terms of being number three. However, it is going to continue to grow. And if other parts of the kind of um, Europe, the UK's uh, trade start to diminish. This China will become far more important and it's not something you can slightly change overnight because it is integrated into our society. Investment, I've, I've touched on, 62% of the respondents stated that 100% of their profits are reinvested in the UK. That is a very um, say important statistic. And, and I think coming back to that phrase I used before, confidence, that actually gives Chinese companies the opportunity to invest further. So that's a byproduct of what kind of the, the new world could look like. Job creation, I've, I mentioned that at the start, 75,000 
direct employees. A lot of those employees are not Chinese nationals, they're UK nationals. And indeed, on top of that, there's probably about another 50,000 of people who are employed as a direct result of the Chinese investment in the UK. But again, just under 50% look to recruit further. And again, 61% want to kind of recruit locally. UK's economic recovery, uh, we're number one UK in terms of um, the G7, but of course with uh, China at 8.1, it outstrips by a, a small uh, proportion, the uh, 6.9, I think, of the, uh, the UK. Thank you. So, an overall assessment of the UK's business environment. And I think this is going to be a very kind of useful barometer because we'll be repeating this year in, year out. I think that the areas to focus on where the kind of the, there's less conjecture is probably on talent. The, the, the Chinese community, community really recognise the skills which are within the UK, but specifically, I think, to do with kind of innovation um, and challenge and bringing new ideas, and that's very much part of parcel of what the UK can offer. Obviously, we kind of touch on the kind of political, and I'll come to that slightly later on. Thank you. So, geopolitical backdrop poses the biggest challenge for Chinese investors. And I think that comes back to the phrase I use at the start, confidence. But I think we've got to put this into perspective because when the uh, survey was done, which was in August of last year, this probably was truer then than it is now, because I do see some improvements in activity. <clears throat> and indeed, at our forum um, in November, Lord Grimstone actually um, appeared at the start and made the comment that there is clearly a huge potential for Chinese investments to play a major part in the UK from offshore wind and energy storage to electric vehicles, to batteries and to green finance. I see this as a real opportunity to build a strong green industrial partnership between our two countries. And indeed, our chancellor at the Mansion House speech talked about cooperating on global issues, whether they be health, climate, aging, and biodiversity. So there are kind of, there are signals starting to happen. And then more, more recently, we've got the economic and financial dialogue planned for the spring. And hopefully also there'll be a JETCO, the Joint Economic Trade Commission uh, meeting later on this, uh, in, hopefully also in the spring. But just to kind of give you a bit more up-to-date information last night, in Beijing, the China Chamber of Commerce had a meeting with their, all of their members, and the overall statement was they thought that the kind of bilateral uh, trade and relationship was in a good place, and they're kind of directly words this morning. So yes, there's an awful lot to do, but it's moving in the right direction. Thank you, Peter. So I've talked about the political challenges, confidence, and just focus on the kind of reduction in M&A activities until there's complete clarity of purpose and the kind of the stage is, let's say, more static than it has been. 
it is difficult for any investor to make decisions if there's an element of uh, uncertainty as to whether they can or cannot go ahead or whether the, what the timescales are. COVID and Brexit, I'm going to move and leave on because that's, that's generic to all of us. Thank you. So key opportunities. Well, COP26 actually proved to be a, a great opportunity for everybody to actually focus on what they have to do. Green finance, which is what London is particularly good at, is a kind of great opportunity. And indeed, at the end of COP26, on I think it was the November the 11th, uh, Bank of China issued some um, green bonds, billions of green bonds, to actually signify that this is a kind of a real opportunity for both the UK and for China. Obviously, for our capital markets, we've got the obviously the uh, Stock Connect that has not. Uh, proven to be as kind of blossoming as we expected, but there is the opportunity there. And then, and then lastly, I talked about talent, and I've already kind of covered that particular point. Thank you. So challenges, particular scrutiny, the National Security Investment Act, that in actual fact did actually help us in some respects because it removed an element of uncertainty so that it kind of focused on the kind of what we want is a kind of a positive and mature trading relationship. Energy, I'm going to touch on when we focus on ESG. Regulation, again, move on slightly here. And uh, net zero, again, I'll touch on when we come to the ESG page slightly later on. Thank you. So key opportunities. The key opportunities are probably all of those points I mentioned before in terms of kind of the macro, the, the health, the climate, aging population, energy. And what China has demonstrated and was very kind of obvious at the uh, COP26 is they do have capacity and have actually got a proven field in terms of developing wind power and battery power especially. And those skills can be kind of brought over to the UK, which is therefore would actually help us in meeting our goals. Thank you, Peter. ESG. I think this is kind of a biggest area that is probably new to all of UK, but also new to the Chinese. And I mentioned that we had a session with KPMG and we, we are all on the journey, but it is something that the Chinese companies have adopted with alacrity. It is on their radar screens and it is a topic of conversation the whole time. And indeed, it is not just the kind of the practicalities of this in terms of how you change your way of working, i.e. the Chinese companies, but also the opportunities it is for business and investment between our two countries. Thank you, Peter. So ESG, we've all got to realize is a it's not a sprint, but it's a marathon, and we've got to, to take our time. And like all of us, we are in the early stages of our ESG journey. But I'm sure that we, next time we actually uh, give out our report, we will be able to demonstrate that we have made progress. Thank you, Peter. So in summary, what I just wanted to say was that the 79 companies 
operate in the UK are still cautiously optimistic about the British economy. More than half of Chinese businesses surveyed plan to expand the scale of their investment in the UK and improve revenue and profitability in the next two years. And green finance, net zero and ESG initiatives are viewed as the most important growth areas with renewable energy generation and battery storage market seen as crucial to UK's net zero and leveling up agenda. And finally, I've got one minute left of my kind of 25 minutes. I just kind of sum up what uh, our chairman, Pan Wenjan, said at the start of the report. He was heartened by the members' commitment to building a fairer, more open, and transparent business environment in the UK. However, he, was, he emphasized that we need to work far more closely to create an environment where differences of opinion can be debated. If we do this, we can then embed trust and thus create a better trade and investment flow for all of us in our bilateral arrangements and agreements. Thank you. John, John, that was fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, I note that uh, one of my Chinese teachers from LSE is online, uh, Hong Lu, and she'll be embarrassed, I think, when I say Jian Li Ji Hong Shi Yu Zhu Xia, which is basically a journey of a thousand miles begins with uh, one step, which I think is the point you're trying to make here. Um, that uh, it, it's we're, we're in it, to, it's a marathon. Uh, and I think you've done a tremendous job at summarizing a very complex relationship in the uh, unfair amount of time we gave you. But um, I'm gonna ask Peter if he, he wouldn't mind to slip back quickly to slide 16. Uh, we just had a couple of quick uh, points here on uh, from Michael Cooper, just wanting to understand that slide just that little bit better. Um, so firstly, on regarding industry coverage, uh, what, what did the percentages represent? Was this investment value number of companies? Oh, no, these represented the response rates from the, the companies to the survey. So 25% of the 79 were industrials and oh. Oh, okay. were. thank you. So they, they don't represent the whole. Good. And another question from Michael. Do you have any feel for the percentage of business the UK represents to some of these uh, in it. I mean, I remember there was, it was until quite recently, I think it was about five years ago, it was something like we were the fifth largest importer from China, but we were like the 20th largest exporter. And I know that those numbers have improved quite markedly, but do you have any idea of how important uh, the UK is to Chinese business? Well, if you look at the um, imports, uh, Chinese, um, China is the number one country um and terms of exports um i have to kind of double check on this it's probably about five or six it's, it's improving uh the the the, the imports are the, the focus okay now this is a question on behalf of henry tillman who sends his apologies he can't be yeah. here but the uk uh, into china inbound investment volume has increased among larger uk companies uh, since the video conference, oddly with Premier Lee in the summer. However, outside the large Pru Hong Kong listing in quarter three, almost all of these are quite small in amounts, especially when compared with Germany and Switzerland. Uh, if or when do you see this changing? 
Well, I, I think it kind of refers to some of the statements I made about uh, confidence. Um, until that is, let's say, has a greater degree of surety, I think the uh, Chinese, not so much in the UK, the, the, the country managers, but uh, China itself and the managers in Beijing or wherever will actually have to be kind of, um, let's say, believe that a change has happened. The sentiment is more positive. And indeed, those kind of uh, winds of change that I've talked about in terms of EFD and JETCO, possibly, and everything else, I think it is happening but it, it is not happening at a rapid rate. So again, this is, don't get, Chinese companies invest for the long term and therefore they want to have a kind of greater degree of certainty. Mm. Uh, Martin Barrow's curious if you have any thoughts on rebuilding tourism. Uh, China, China was the largest outbound market overtaking the USA uh, in 2019. And how can we work together, particularly things like, uh, you know, simple uh, inclusive visa simplification um, we need tech teamwork, engagement, collaboration, harmony. Well, I, I think what Martin said is absolutely right, but I think the kind of the, the prime point in actual fact is to get actually planes flying between our two countries, because until that happens, it's, it's a bit academic. And indeed, I mentioned the um, events in Beijing with the um, Beijing Chamber of Commerce, apart from the kind of improvement and the kind of bilateral um, format agreement, the issue was very much in terms of how do you get people back on a plane? Because if you don't have the engagement of people to people conversations, people get stale. They forget what China's about. And the, the kind of the, the individuals who used to kind of pop over there the whole time, they're not doing it. So the kind of advocacy on both sides of the, uh, on both countries is, is diminishing. That is not good news. Yeah, okay. Um, Ian Stewart asks, uh, how do state-owned entities interact uh, here in the UK? Many Chinese companies are complaining that they have no chance of doing business here due to President Xi's policies. Do you have any solutions? Uh, my my job is not actually to provide solutions at that stage because it's I'm I'm, I'm getting to kind of looks like more kind of the political arena. We're far more kind of pragmatic in what we can actually do with what we've got here and to encourage investment. Okay. Um, well, I'll just push a little bit on that if I might. Maybe just a personal opinion. But Michael Dury here is asking. Uh, uh, sorry, Trevor Hilder is asking, is the Chinese Communist Party really interested in discussing differences of opinion? I think the answer is yes, they are. Because uh, if, if you kind of look at where China has come from over the, especially after, let's say, 2008, the economic tsunami and what they've actually done, they've actually kind of asked the UK, they've asked America, they've asked countries around the world in terms of what works, what doesn't work, and trying to kind of provide a formula that actually is successful in their own environment. So uh, it is difficult to look at from afar, but it is easy to understand when you actually get there. So it, it, the, the word challenge in, in, let's say, in a Western environment is probably completely different in terms of how you actually apply that. But from a practical point of view, having worked in China, I would say that you can 
kind of challenge, but the kind of the way you challenge is completely different. Mm. Okay. Well, in fact, coming back to here, uh, a question uh, really on, uh, on on our stuff. Uh, Michael Cooper is curious. Then, how do we balance or influence the activities of, for example, the China Research Group with regards to the UK-China relationship? And, and I think that's an important point. And not that our kind of focus is on what the China Research Group do, but given where CCC UK has come from and what they're doing now, indeed, in the, this particular webinar and what I've explained this morning, if, if people who are supportive of China don't have information about China or indeed the businesses or the people or the benefit to the country, it is def very difficult for them to be an advocate or make any comment because effectively the naysayers have the ground. Therefore, what we would be pr pr promoting, which is all about business between our two countries, if we are far more certain and stand up and do that properly, then the, the arguments, which may be valid by the China Research Group, have more of a balance to them rather than being kind of um, lopsided without any advocacy on the Chinese side. Mm. Um, just a comment here to give you a breather. Ian Sheridan uh, says, uh, heads up folks, uh, on the 17th of January at the Oxford Union, Sir Vince Cable spoke for 12 minutes. His synopsis on the bilateral trade potential was balanced. And you can see it on YouTube under China friend or foe. And Peter, I think we'll try and hunt that down and stick it in the chat room. Um, I, I, in fact, have read uh, uh, cover to cover Vince Cable's book, The China Conundrum, and I did personally find it very balanced. Um, do, do you have any thoughts on that book? I've only I've only read the summary, to be fair. Um, but I, I think from because he actually also uh, took part in one of our events earlier on. Okay. He's a lone voice. He's a lone voice, and we need more voices. Yeah, I'd agree with that completely. Um, just returning your your survey, uh, I've got a couple other questions I'd like to sweep up, and then I want to move on to a couple ge geopolitical questions. Um, Hugh Purser is just curious. Presumably, your survey numbers now include Hong Kong. Uh, no, they they don't. Okay, good. Well, then the, the second bit goes. So these are mainland uh, figures. That's great. Um, and uh, another question on that. The this is from Alistair Garfoot. Uh, the geographical distribution of Chinese enterprises in the UK is interesting. That's the slide, uh, the Google map slide you showed. I noticed there were no companies in Cambridge where Huawei has a significant presence. Or oh, I think it's it's where the registered offices. Ah, okay. not, not all the kind of branches or kind of manufacturing or research units. Okay, so take it as illustrative rather than, okay. Yeah. Thank, you, thank you very much, Alistair, for pointing that out. Uh, Michael Jury again, uh, what, what plans does China have to move to transport uh, via developing this Arctic Sea Route? Sorry, just explain that to me, please. Um, you know, the Arctic Sea Route that's being talked about uh, over, yeah. over Russia. How, how do you think that might affect trade? I don't really know is the answer to that. A anything that can, uh, let's say, improve uh, trade between the two countries is to be um, supported. But I think that's a, that's a long shot from my point of view. Okay. Uh, Bob McDowell's kind of curious about inflation. 
obviously we're uh, it's, it's the talk both here and in the states and to a lesser degree on the continent but how well is china equipped to manage inflationary forces compared with the uk well it, i think one thing that you can actually see from china especially coming back to as i said the economic tsunami of 2008 it has managed particularly well in terms of uh, looking after its economy and yes there are, are going to be continual headwinds but they have the levers of uh, power that they can actually put in place immediately and whether they may be seen to be slightly blunt on occasions but if you actually kind of stand and look back and see what they've actually achieved you can see that the growth profile and the management of the economy has occurred in a fairly more even way than it perhaps has done in this country. Uh, Bob, again, you know, how much has the Chinese economy been financially and economically weakened by COVID? What measures and plans do you think China has to stimulate economic and financial growth post-COVID? Um, and, you know, an addendum from me, uh, you know, do you feel that China is in some kind of, it's going to be darn hard to get out of COVID trap? due to the uh, large, well, the lack of exposure. The first part I'd refer to kind of the answer I've just given to the extent that they've actually kind of demonstrated that they have the tools to actually manage their economy, depending upon the circumstances they're in. I do think you're right from a point of view of COVID adopting a kind of zero tolerance approach as opposed to, let's say, where we've been, we've gone through some pretty kind of draconian times ourselves, but if, if we're learning to live with it, then that enables the economy and all of us to uh, perform better. So I think going from an absolute of zero to having some form of, uh, kind of um, gray area in terms of accepting COVID, I think personally that is going to be extremely difficult. And therefore that really comes back to one of the earlier questions about kind of travel and when that can open up because until we actually kind of cross that bridge as to how you can bring in people without them, not, without them having to have dramatic amounts of um, quarantine, that is going to be a continued issue. And I, I personally, I do not know the answer, but it, it, again, interestingly enough, the kind of the uh, Chinese uh, survey, that was one of the kind of topical questions that they had because it's in the interest of all business to actually travel backwards and forwards, communicate and meet each other. Uh, so I think there'll be an imperative somewhere along the line to make that happen. Um, Ian Stewart again, uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about global contagion from Evergrande. Uh, how worried should we be about Evergrande and the impact on a third perhaps of China's economy, the property sector? Well, uh, I think for all of us who've been involved with China over the years, we may not have seen um, an Evergrande, but we've actually seen quite a lot of property bubbles. And again, um, and it, it, again, it, as I said, maybe kind of blunt from a, kind of a Western point of view, but they find solutions and they find way forwards. Uh, and indeed, it's probably more important now because from an Evergrande point of view, there's quite a lot of international bondholders within there. So again, to kind of help the kind of relationship and the continual development of the kind of financial environment within China, I'm, I'm not certain, but I'm sure they will actually find a solution that works for all. Okay. Um, Douglas Andrews, you know, your report was conducted ahead of the current crisis of the Tory party and government 
with MI5's warnings about Christine Lee's activities. Uh, Chinese investors are famously concerned about political stability. Are any of these more recent developments like or likely to temper Chinese enthusiasm for investing in the UK? Well, it comes back to the words uncertainty and uh, confidence. Um, and also, depending upon what may happen with our prime minister, um, if there's kind of a, kind of a certainty that he continues, then people know where they stand. If there's a change, that's going to lead to a, kind of a period of uncertainty until everybody knows the, kind of the thought process of the new prime minister, if that actually occurs. So it, it, in the short term, I don't think it, it's, it's not helpful because it will just put things back. Because if you look at the kind of report and what happened last year, it was all about geopolitical winds, COVID and Brexit. Well, hopefully the Brexit and um, COVID are kind of a lower order issues. Geopolitical is still there, but is moving in the right direction. But if you overlay another thing on top, then that's going to create the uncertainty again. So it, it kind of defers decision making. Okay. Now you, you referenced um, ShareConnect. And in fact, we had a webinar last year with the uh, UK head of the Shanghai Stock Exchange. And she uh, expressed that so far, uh, it's been a handful or more of Chinese companies using it to come to the West, but no Western companies trying to access Chinese capital. And now, of course, we've got the Hong Kong connection. Any thoughts on A, why that hasn't taken off and B, um, what might be done to make it a little bit more robust? Well, again, I think it's probably more to do with the environment, because if the the major companies that you would thought may access such a market, they've obviously have got to have confidence, not probably not so much about being in China, but the impact that may have on their global business. So in, in an unstable environment or where you've got, you know, you've got too many kind of gray clouds, the, the easiest thing is to put things off until actually there's, uh, there's more certainty. Okay. Uh, and the last thing I'd just like to touch on in the time available is ESG uh, and, and actually wider really green and, and green finance. And uh, I'll start with a question from Michael Cooper. What correlations are there between the UK and China and therefore Chinese companies? with regards to ESG initiatives. Is this something with which there is alignment and continuity between the UK and China, or is this a UK sensitivity? Uh, and I would tack on to that any thoughts on what the EU taxonomy, which is, seems to be dominating in, the, in this space, has to do with the uh, UK initiatives in regards to ESG as well. I think, as I mentioned during the uh, my overview, from an ESG point of view, I think that the Chinese uh, business community uh, accept it, want to adopt it, and want to follow through on it. But in terms of, it's, it's very easy to make those statements when you're at the start, but you've got to actually go through all the kind of the detail, the legwork, and understand what it means. Um, and indeed, I don't think that uh, the, the UK may be more advanced in terms of the promotion of the kind of the, the letters, but probably it is as advanced as China in terms of actually putting it into reality. So I don't see too much difference, but it's the kind of speed that they'll be, put, they'll be put in place. 
Okay. I'm just going to launch this uh, sort of temperature poll about the attitude to China. And while folks are answering that, uh, I'd just like to slip in, John. I mean, a number of people who are, I wouldn't say anti-ESG, but uh, who, who are skeptical about whether it's going to really make a difference are much more keen on carbon pricing, which is what we were supposed to do after COP3 in Tokyo back in 97. And of course, China launched uh, famously last year a national ETS. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? I don't know. I think it's early days. Okay. Well, I'm just uh, pulling the re uh, results in there, folks. I'm going to leave the poll open for just a few more seconds to let you come in. Uh, great. And we're now that we've seen the voting, I'm uh, going to close that and uh, and share the results. And, um, well, as you can see, uh, <laughs> broadly positive, undecided, and broadly negative have uh, really not moved very much. Uh, but I think we're much more informed, thanks to you, John, which is, uh, which is of course, the important thing. So what I'd uh, like to do quickly in closing, if I may, is a quick three rounds of thanks. Uh, firstly, uh, to the audience, you've been super today, really vibrant with questions, and all those questions uh, will, as I say, be sent to John. Uh, secondly, uh, I'd like to thank our sponsors who, who do let us range widely and freely, and I might pick on a particular one uh, in a, a sense of full disclosure, it's in front of you, but China Development Institute, uh, as well as Hong Kong, uh, Financial Services Development Council are all uh, big sponsors of FS Club. Uh, we're very interested in keeping these uh, dialogues going. Um, but our biggest thanks of all, of course, are to you, John. Um, I'd like to thank you very, very much for coming on. It's a it's a tough area here uh, to do, and I, I think the the other Chinese expression is uh, what was it now? Her uh, um, You know that basically, uh, you know, it's harmony and diversity. And that's, I think, what we need to do is we need as business people to keep the trade going and yet at the same time recognize that there are points of difference, uh, some of them cultural, some of them ethical, some of them moral. Um, but if the trade isn't going, nothing else happens. But then we need to keep to our own principles. And I think you've conveyed that really, really well today. It's uh, their business decisions to be made. Uh, and that's what we need to focus on. So thank you. Um, just a pointer to events ahead uh, tomorrow. Uh, we are launching a report on the metaverse and insurance. Uh, it's called uh, the metaverse and insurance, pixel perfect. Uh, and I hope that uh, some of you will be joining us for that. But I'd like to close, if I may, with, uh, I'm afraid this is Korean, John, not Chinese, but I do have uh, my technology uh, for the audience clapping, which unfortunately GoToWebinar doesn't provide, but we at CN have it. And this is our Korean karmic clapper. And we'd like to- Thank you very much. Thank so you, Michael, and thank you for the opportunity to have a talk today. Thank you.